engine light on? Take the guesswork out of your check engine light with O'Reilly Veriscan. It's free and provides a report with solutions based on over 650 million vehicle scans verified by ASE certified master technicians. And if you need help, we can recommend a shop for you. Ask for O'Reilly Veriscan today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon. This is episode number 208. And today in the show, we are talking about Theodore Roosevelt. We're talking about scouting and hunting for western whitetails. Talking about big drop time shed antlers and what it's like to pick up one of those. And finally, I share my most recent near-death experience. Alright, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by Sitka Gear. And today on the show, uh, it's going to be a fun one because I'm here with my buddy Dan Johnson and the man known as Furter. <laughs> and... and uh, <laughs> And we're going to be talking about a whole bunch of different things related to the trip that I was just on last week with Ferts when we went out to North Dakota and Montana. And uh, me and me and Ferter were out there scouting for whitetails and doing some shed hunting and learning a little bit about Theodore Roosevelt too. So I figured we could talk about all that stuff. I want to talk about Mr. Roosevelt. I want to talk about western whitetail hunting i want to talk about how to pull off a shed hunt like this and tell all the the stories of uh of the week we had um so that's my game plan dan is that sound okay by you yep i'm all for it i must say that i followed along more than any other story you know like instagram story or on social media or whatever i followed along kind of really curious about what was all going down out there and and so, what were your thoughts while you watched that? What were my thoughts? Yeah. My thoughts were was my name even brought up in the initial conversation about going out there. <laughs> uh, as far as as far as hey, should we invite Dan Johnson? Cuz that would I think he would like that trip. Dan, let's be honest about this. It doesn't matter. You no. couldn't you couldn't no, you don't answer that. Don't I don't care if this is your podcast. <laughs> don't answer that because my same friends who I went to high school with and who I've known for almost 25 years, maybe even more, they don't have kids and they stop inviting me to do shit because they think I can't go to it because I have three kids. All right. So don't pull that BS. You, you put me, you put yourself in this position, Dan. <laughs> no, no, the invite, the invites can still come. I can, you know, I can tell you, no, Doesn't, but... isn't it, isn't it more painful to get invited to something than like, Oh, I can't do it. than just to nope. never know about it at all. 
Nope. No. Nope, absolutely not. How how am I supposed to not know about it? I follow you on <laughs> I mean, all your social that. media, and I'm here <laughs> doing a podcast with you. I mean, obviously you'll know about it, but I, if it makes you feel any better, I didn't invite anyone. It was a last-minute thing. At the last second, I was like, I, mm-hmm. jo- I know Josh has got the schedule. He can come along with me to do this, and you know he was able to do it. But I do feel a little bad that uh, you and some of my other buddies were following along, watching this all happen. And um, it was a trip that I would have been very jealous of, too. I, I'm usually on the other end of this. I'm usually watching other people do a cool trip like this, and I'm upset. <laughs> and uh, I just got lucky that this time it worked out. Hey, Furter, would three have would would three have been a crowd on this trip? Would three have been too many? Uh I mean, I wouldn't have brought home as many antlers then, so yeah, I guess so. <laughs> or we could have covered more ground. No, that's true. That's true. <laughs> no, this yeah. kind of trip you could definitely do with more people. You just would have to find a lot more spots, that's all. So it worked out. It worked out good because, you know, a big part of what this trip was about, it wasn't about the shed hunting and the scouting and stuff. It was about this project that I'm working on personally. Um, this public land project. So I needed to go to North Dakota and some of these areas where Theodore Roosevelt spent some important years of his life. So I needed to go there and I had to do some research stuff. I had to go visit the national park there. I had to go do some kind of check out some museums and different things along those lines. And that's kind of stuff that I knew that, you know, if people just wanted to come along for a shed hunting trip, they weren't going to be interested in possibly having to devote several days to that kind of stuff. So um, so that was the big impetus for this trip. It was, I had to go and do that stuff, but then I got to thinking, well, if we're going out there for this, maybe I can, you know, loop in some deer hunting, scouting, some shed hunting and kind of make this grand trip out of it. Um, and so, so that's what we did. I want to talk about it in detail, but real quick, before we dive down that road, Dan, really fast, do you have any updates of significance that we need to touch on in the life of Dan Johnson? No, I don't have any. I just want to hear about this <laughs> okay. trip and I want to, cause it, this stuff does interest me. Like yeah. the, the whole, the whole Teddy Roosevelt thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so let's start there then, because, you know, as I mentioned, where we went, we headed out to Western North Dakota, um, in this region where they kind of referred to as the Badlands. And this spot's so important because Theodore Roosevelt went out there and had some really important experiences in his life. Um, a lot of people refer to this area as the cradle of conservation because these few years that Teddy spent so much time out there, a lot of people believe in, in, in Roosevelt even wrote himself that his time there formed his core beliefs and desires and passions around conservation and trying to protect wildlife and wild places. Um, and, he, and he said much of much of that was responsible for, or much of his time that was responsible for the things that he did later as the president. So back when he was in his mid-20s, uh, Teddy Roosevelt, Theodore Roosevelt, was a New York State Assemblyman. And so that's basically, I think, state congressman type thing. So in his mid-20s, though, he was doing, he's kind of working his way up in politics, but he had always been interested in the outdoors. He was a big naturalist growing up as a kid, really into bugs and birds and things like that. And he started exploring some wild places around him. Um, so he was going up to upstate New York, and he went up into the north woods of Maine. Um, so he always loved the outdoors, but he grew in the, up in this kind of aristocratic family um, of of a lot of importance there. So he didn't necessarily have 
the really wild life and wild experience type of background um, that many people maybe imagine that Theodore Roosevelt had. He didn't have that until the mid-1880s when he bumped into this naval officer, a formal naval officer who was promoting Western North Dakota um, as like a sportsman's paradise. And Roosevelt had always been intrigued in the West. He'd wanted to go out West. And so this guy is promoting it and talking about how great it is. So finally Roosevelt's like, all right, you know what? I'm going out there. I want to hunt. I want to see what the Wild West is really all about. And in particular, he actually he wanted to try to hunt and kill a buffalo um, while they were still around. Because um, this was getting to that point, that, that 1880 time frame was when the market hunting and everything kind of crescendoed. And we were really at the tail end of um, of that buffalo population. So Roosevelt heads out there. He takes a train out west. He gets off here in the badlands of North Dakota. And he has this just incredible hunting experience. Gets a taste of it. Absolutely loved this landscape. We'll talk about this landscape a little bit more. But he, he described it as like... He, this area, the Badlands, he described it as savage, an area of savage desolation. He talked about like dreary plateaus and these fantastically shaped buttes and deep winding canyons. It was kind of an intoxicating place. And then, of course, amazing wildlife. He did end up killing a buffalo, saw all sorts of other wildlife. So before he even went home, he threw down a bunch of money and bought a ranching. He bought a ranch gave a bunch of money to a couple guys to make them his ranch hands and said, hey, buy a bunch of cattle. I'm going to become a rancher out here, kind of a part-time rancher. And so that was in 1883. And over the next four-ish years, um, he came back to the Badlands, to western North Dakota, time and time again. He came for, for large portions of the summers over the next three years. Um, I think I read somewhere that in total he spent about 14 months there over that period from 83 to about 87. Um, and he just he had incredible experiences. He hunted white-tailed deer and mule deer and bighorn sheep and elk. He went from there and headed further west into the bighorn mountains in Montana and hunted grizzlies and all sorts of other things like that. So we just had these amazing western hunting and ranching kind of frontier experiences right at the tail end of that whole era. Um, I was reading at one place that before European contact, um, specifically speaking of white-tailed deer, before European contact, there were approximately 24 million white-tailed deer in North America. And by this time frame that Roosevelt was out there, it was down to maybe 500,000. So what he was seeing was amazing wildlife populations when he got there and then over the course of that time period he saw it declining and getting worse and he was seeing kind of the, the rape and plunder of this landscape and others out west so he kind of he saw what was great what he thought was great and then he saw it getting worse and worse and worse um and so that kind of set him on this path then to realize that he needed to do something about that um and i feel like a big part of the reason why I wanted to talk about this in the podcast is because we always talk about how Theodore Roosevelt is this, um, I don't know, he, he's kind of that guy. When we talk about conservationists or hunter conservationists, we always point to what Theodore Roosevelt said or what he did. Um, but a lot of people don't even really realize what that was other than, oh, he protected a bunch of land. Maybe that's the basics of what most people know. But he had all these experiences as a hunter, and this led him to doing a whole bunch of different things in the subsequent years. So this same place that me and Josh went to, this is the, the place that kind of built that foundation for him. Now, after the winter of 1887, I believe it was, 
it was kind of a, a really bad year. There was a horrible winter. Things were really struggling out there. And he realized like someone's got to do something to try to protect the wildlife across America before the market hunters destroy it, before all these other things and development take away what we have. And so he came back from North Dakota on one of his last big trips out there. And he put together this big meeting in New York with a bunch of influential people. And right then and there, they co-founded the Boone and Crockett Club. And we all know about the Boone and Crockett Club now because of the record books and everything. But at that point, uh, when Roosevelt co-founded it with George Bird Grinnell, um, who was the editor of Forest and Stream, which is now Field and Stream, um, they were developing this organization as like the first real environmental and wild game conservation organization that was ever created. Um, and they did a whole lot of really important things. It wasn't just keeping track of records, but they were actually making real legislation changes and lobbying and making real impacts on that kind of stuff. So for example, Roosevelt and the rest of the organization were huge in getting wildlife protections in Yellowstone. So even though that Yellowstone was created as a national park, um, almost 20 years ahead of that, there weren't any real enforcements in place. So people were still killing animals in there and kind of taking advantage of it. And, and there was no enforcement there. So a big thing that Boone and Crackle Club and that Roosevelt helped make happen was actually get those game laws established and enforced. He was a huge player in helping protect the last remaining buffalo. Um, even before he was president, he was huge in actually lobbying for the legislation that helped establish forest reserves, which eventually became our national forests. Um, even before he was president, he helped lobby lo lobby for it and get the Lacey Act passed, which is the first federal game law, which protected game. It banned the sale and transport, importation, exportation of wild game and different things along those lines. It helped stop poachers and enforce get game wardens out there to enforce these different laws. So all that kind of stuff he did before he ever was president. And I don't think a lot of people realize that he was. The more and more I've studied Roosevelt, the more I've understood that he was. His fingerprints are on so much from when he was a young guy in his 20s all the way through a pre through his presidential administration and after that. Um, and we hear about the stuff he did as a president a little more. You know, he helped set aside more than 200 million acres of national forests and refuges, created five national parks. He signed the Antiquities Act, which created the ability for presidents to set aside national monuments, and he used that to protect the Grand Canyon, for example. Um, so a whole slew of different things, which, which I think is why I think we still talk about Teddy Roosevelt today. Um, and I think a lot of us can point to him, not just us hunters and anglers, but really anyone who cares about wild places or wildlife, we can point to him as being really one of the very most influential and very first people that really helped develop this ethic within North America, that we do care about these places and that we do want to set aside places and conserve wild resources and wildlife and, and make sure that these things and these places are available, not just for us now, but also in the future. Um, so that is a very long and winding way of saying it was important for me to go to this place where it all began for him. Um, so right now in Western North Dakota, there's this national park now dedicated there to Roosevelt. It's called Theodore Roosevelt National Park. Um, and that is where Teddy's ranches were. One of his ranches, one of his houses is there in one of the units. And then there's a separate unit with another one of the spots where he had a ranch house. The house isn't there anymore. Um, but that's where our trip began. We went to the national park, um, to go see one of his ranch houses, to learn a little bit more, to see this area. 
And um, I wanted to just, you know, experience a little bit of what he experienced that had inspired him so much. Um, what did you think about that area, Josh, when you saw it? Um, what, I mean, and we were there, you know, it's, it's cold, so snowy. This isn't even like it is in the middle of spring and summer when it's flourishing with color and stuff. Even now though, what did you think about this place? Could you, could you understand why Roosevelt maybe was a little bit inspired? Oh yeah. I mean, for sure. It was, it was beautiful. Um, you know, I'd been out, I've been out West and seen the Rockies and stuff like that, but I haven't seen any of this, um, kind of badlands type landscape. Um, it was just really cool. Very different from what I thought it was going to be like, um, looking at pictures and stuff. Um, one of those things you you don't really appreciate until you're out there and and seeing it in person. And, um, my wife and I are actually going to be out there again this summer. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing it during the summer months too. And it's all greened up and everything like that. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful place. It's almost like you're you're go, you're coming along at the high plains of North Dakota if you're coming from the east. So it's these rolling grassy hills, and then all of a sudden, it's almost as if and, I, and I've never been to the Grand Canyon actually, but it's something almost like that. I feel like you you're you see this flat area, hills, grass, and then all of a sudden there's this massive canyon. So all this erosion created this this winding kind of labyrinth of what people call badlands, um, but it's these canyons and buttes and cliffs and just the crazy stuff that water did um, eroding this area into this kind of fantastical, it's really hard to describe. Um, but it, it, some people, some cowboys back in the day, they, they described it as hell with the fire put out. Um, and I can see that if you were a cowboy back in the day trying to get across this area, riding a horse or a wagon, like you and me were talking about this, Josh, like how in the world could you cross this area? Cause it's so rugged. It's, it's, it's insane. I don't know how people could get across it back at that point. Um, but it does make for a heck of a scene. I mean, the scenery is amazing. These big, huge canyons and steep, nasty cliffs and thick draws and there's kind of brush and pines and cedars intermixed but then these really weird striated cliff colors where it goes from like a copper color to a to a brown to a yellow to a gray and all these different layers of i think it's sands maybe sandstone or something like that that's causing these different um sediment layers to be shown uh, and then there's the little missouri river running through the middle of it so you've got this river bottom area then with cottonwoods and beautiful trees and it greens up real nice down there in the summer um, and the national park itself, you can't, you can't hunt the national park. Of course you can't shed hunt on the national park, uh, itself. But if you're ever in the area, it's totally worth going to the national park just to see it. It's a beautiful area they, they still have Buffalo there. Um, what, what we saw Buffalo, we saw, uh, Prairie Dog Towns. Yeah. The Prairie Dog Towns. Um, we did see a bighorn sheep, but that was actually not on the national park. That was on some other public land north of there. Any um, muleys? You know, did we see muleys in the park, Josh? Or was uh, it outside the park, there? Um, that was, I think it was outside of the park. Yeah. Um, I, we may have, I, I can't remember. I think that was outside where we were, though, where we saw yeah. the muleys. Outside of the park, though, we definitely saw a ton. <laughs> are there elk in there, too? There are, but not in the section we were in, I guess. Um, I was told that if you went farther east, there's a section where there's a pretty good herd of them, um, but I hadn't, I hadn't seen seen them in the past but super cool really really cool place and it was funny you know we so we showed up at the park and like i said i wanted to do some hiking around there i wanted to visit the visitor center i wanted to see the maltese cross cabin which was one of his 
cabins there, the first place he bought. Um, so we went and checked that out, and that was really cool. But we went to stay at the campground there in the national park. And like I said, you can't keep shed antlers in the park. If you find an antler in the national park, you can't keep it. So we obviously weren't going to go shed hunting there. So we find a campsite, and we're walking from the campsite to the little registration station. And I brought my dog on this trip um, because I wanted to take Boone shed hunting and these other places we were going and try to actually have him in a place where he could actually find sheds and get experience. That was another big part of this is that this is kind of a training opportunity for Boone. Um, so we're walking to the registration station, and I can't remember if I saw it first or if I saw Boone first, but Boone goes running off into the woods next to this registration station. At the same time, I look over there by him. And there's a nice four-point shed right there. Boone goes, sticks his nose in it. I'm like, ah, shed right there. <laughs> right when we got there. Um, unfortunately, we picked it up. Well, he picked it up, ran around with it, and then we had to put it back in there. Um, that was painful a little bit, but it was cool to see one right at the gate and uh, get Boone on a fresh shed. That was cool. Um and it was funny, you know, Josh, I think, I don't know if it was you who said it or I said it, but like, man, this could either be a sign of a really good trip ahead of us, or that could be like the only shed we find on the trip and we're going to be doomed <laughs> the rest of the way. Yeah. 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 Luckily it, uh, it was a foreshadowing of good stuff to come. Um, so, so yeah, from here we explored the national park a little bit and then we headed out in, there's all sorts of public land outside of the national park to the North and to the South. There's a whole bunch of different stuff. Um, there's some BLM land, there's some grasslands, um, there's some state land, there's a whole bunch of different stuff that you can get on and explore. And so our plan was to do that, to explore a bunch of these different spots, do some scouting, to do some future hunting, um, and then, you know, hopefully pick up some sheds too. Um, so I don't know, Furter, was there anything of note on day one when we finally got out and looking that we should talk about, or should we just skip to day two? Uh, I mean, day one was pretty slow other than the, that first shed we found in the campground. Um, cause we weren't even going to shed hunt the first day. We were just going to kind of drive around and check out the area. And then, you know, we saw that shed in the park and we both got pretty fired up. Like, all right, we're, we're going to go, we're going to go find some sheds. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, yeah, we, that didn't go very well that first day. Yeah. Well, we, we couldn't get to a lot of spots because like all these right. roads were really muddy and kind of, I don't know if it's clay or what the road was, um, but there'd been a lot of snow melt happening. So everything was wet and we were in this rental car and I don't know. I don't think either one of us really wanted to risk getting stuck down in here way in the middle of nowhere. So well, I, I feel, Mark, I feel like we need to back up for a second now that you mentioned the rental car <laughs> and talk about our... <laughs> our issues right before we left dude Because i feel that's pertinent to the story it's true okay dan so All right. what's the rental car i mean <laughs> you're going out you're, you know you're going to be on some dirt roads uh you know or gravel or whatever first off i want to i want to kind of visualize what the what i'm looking at here so what is the rental car first of all well so we originally i wanted to get a cargo van because I imagined having a big cargo van, we could pile all of our stuff in there, and then we could sleep in the van too. We could van life it, <laughs> so we didn't need to set up tents or anything. We could just sleep in the truck and then drive from place to place, and it'd be really easy and convenient to have all our stuff in there. So I rented a cargo van from a rental car place. So on the day we were leaving, Josh was supposed to go to the airport, pick up the van, and then drive down to pick me up. 
Well, like an hour and a half before Josh was going to pick up the van, I get a phone call because I made the reservation. And this is the, the rental car place. And I'm just going to say it, it was Hertz. They give me a call. And the guy tells me, uh, Mr. Kenyon, we, uh, we're not going to have a vehicle for you today. And I'm like, uh, excuse me? And they said, no, we're not going to be able to provide a vehicle for your reservation today. I'm like, well, what do you mean you're not going to provide a vehicle? The whole a reservation means that you are reserving a vehicle so that it will be there on the day I need to pick it up, and then I get to use it. Like we 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 made a business agreement. My side of the agreement is that I'm going to pay you money. Your side of the agreement <laughs> is that you're going to give me the car I reserved. And I, this guy, and this company made me so mad because he was basically, I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do. We don't have a vehicle. There's no other vehicles. There's no other vans for you. Um, and then he's not, he's, he, he wasn't offering a solution. Like if I'm in his shoes and all of a sudden I realize, oh my gosh, these people plan to have this vehicle to go on their week long trip. And now for some reason I can't get them that vehicle. Me as a employee, I would want to say, okay, how do I fix this solution? How do I find a solution? How do I fix this? What else can I do to try to amend the situation? This guy didn't do anything. He didn't want to do anything. He's just like, uh, we don't have a vehicle for you. And then so I'm waiting for the and or the but, but nothing. So I had to be a jerk and be like, okay, man, that's not acceptable. What are you going to do? Like, how do we fix this? And so for the next, like, three hours, I had to deal with this yuppie calling him back and forth, trying to get him to do something. And every time he's like, oh, I can't get a hold of my manager. Uh, my manager's supposed to call you. Uh, I called this other place. There's nothing there. Um I've never been so frustrated with a company in my life. So in the in the end, I'm trying to do this. And while I'm trying to – I'm calling other dealerships and places are closing because it's a Saturday. So all these places were closing at like noon. I had – I was babysitting well, – not babysitting. I was on baby duty. Kylie was out for the day with her sister. So I had Everett. I'm trying to handle all these phone calls, trying to find a vehicle, and he starts throwing a fit. So he's screaming and crying and going bloody murder, and I'm on the phone, and I can't hear these people, and these people are pissing me off. So it was like a two-hour debacle. Um, I was just really mad. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> finally I asked Josh, I was like, Josh, I can't do this anymore. Like, I, get, I have to deal with this kid. Can you t- Can I pass the baton to you? Can you try to figure something out? And um, – for, you ended up finding an SUV we could rent in like the only the single last rental place within like hours of us that was still open. We finally got something we could use, which was uh, uh, GMC Acadia, right? Yep, yep, yeah. okay. Acadia. All right. So that that was what we got, and it was it was actually not bad. I, it wasn't nearly as big as the van would have been, so we weren't able to sleep in it. We had uh, tent camp, um, and like it, it was tight. It was really tightly packed. We we're packed to the gills going there. And then every time we stopped somewhere at camp, we had to just unload everything and rearrange everything and a little bit inconvenient. But on the bright side, I think that if we took the cargo van, it would have handled the roads even worse than the, than the SUV did. Um, so I guess that was our silver lining, but yeah, even with all wheel drive, these roads were really, really bad. Um, some of them we could get down, some of them we couldn't. Um, but that first day, a lot of the spots on the map that looked good that I wanted to get to had these just horrible roads that we had to turn around eventually on. So we did some walking in some places but never found anything. Except, Josh, you found a pronghorn sheath, the sheath of a pronghorn. Yeah, yeah, oh, awesome. forgot about that. Yep. That was cool. And actually, that was, and actually Boone kind of found it. He was sniffing around it and was kind of shoved it out into the road where I saw it. So. Yeah, that was 
That was oh, unique. That was pretty cool. Yeah. So the next day, um, next day we decided to go explore this other area that I had pinpointed as a as a high probability location. I thought it could be a good spot to hunt. Thought it could be a good spot maybe to find some antlers. Um, so long story short on that one, drove down to the spot, parked. It was super wet. Like again, to the point of everything being just post snow melt, everything was flooded. Um, so the first section of this ground we were trying to walk was really wet and both of us, neither one of us wore our rubber boots. We were both wearing like hiking boots. Um, so it was a bunch of stuff we couldn't get to, but I don't know, after a few hours and I think we were getting a little down a little bit because the whole first day, either we couldn't walk stuff and then the stuff we could walk, we didn't find anything. And now this section it's flooded. We finally get to some good looking stuff. We saw a bunch of sign. I'm thinking, all right, anytime now we're going to find antlers and it was just nothing. And um, I found, I'm looking at the maps, and I found one more section of, like, good cover along the river that I thought maybe that would be a spot that we could go find some sheds. But it was, like, over a mile away. So between us and this section of timber was just a big expanse of sagebrush. And I'm like, Josh, if you're up for it, I say we just bomb across the sagebrush real quick, get to that section of timber, and then just focus our shed hunting there. Um, and so you were up for that. And we started walking fast, just trying to cover ground to get to the timber. And then what happened, Josh? Yeah, we came up to this little high spot, and we were still we were still looking, even though we were walking fast. We were, you know, twenty, thirty yards apart. And I came over up over on this little high spot, and boom, there's a nice five point side just sticking up. You know, it's like perfect right there. Um, and then right next to it was a uh, the other side. So we just kind of walked up on a really nice match set, not thinking we we're going to see anything in there. Do a, do myself and the listeners a favor and describe in a little bit more detail the terrain setting that you guys are doing this shed hunting in. Yeah, good call. All right, so I'll, I'll give you my my perspective, and Josh, you you add on to it if or tell me if you think it's different. But basically, what you've got here is we're down in a river bottom, so you got this river that's winding through the middle, and this river is really high again because of the snow melt it's really muddy it's moving really fast and then along the shore you've got these kind of fingers of cottonwood trees kind of sparse cottonwood trees um and then extending out from that then are these kind of long flat expanses of sagebrush and grass um and then occasionally there'll be some sections like the section we're heading there'll be some sections like where we were headed um where there is some thicker timber so cottonwood trees mixed in with some cedars and stuff like that um but then on either side basically you've got canyon walls or buttes like these these badland type hill slash cliff slash uh, i don't know how else to describe them um if you google badlands you'll see what i'm talking about what the kind of stuff looks like but basically we're down in like the bottom of a canyon almost this river bottom with these like hills or mountains on either side that kind of form these tight walls um so that's kind of how i would describe it josh would you add anything uh, yeah i mean that's pretty much dead on and then you know there's some cattle pasture and stuff like that too um a lot of cattle grazing in the area yeah um but yeah sagebrush and then the cottonwoods some cedars mixed in here and there yeah i mean you pretty much hit the nail on the head yeah i mean this is this is very different than like Iowa or Michigan, obviously, but it's kind of like your generic Western landscape, though. I mean, if you pick any spot in 
Montana or North Dakota or South Dakota or parts of Wyoming where you've got a river bottom, it's kind of going to look something like this. You've got, you know, rolling hills or grasslands up on the top away from the river, then it drops down into a river bottom. You're going to get some trees and some stuff like that. Um, so that's what we were working with. And, um, yeah, man, Josh's match set was awesome. Big. I mean, that was like 130, yeah. at, le- at least 130 something inch. Yeah, type it was buck. real nice. Yep. And I had, uh, on the right side, it had looks like split brows that were broken off, and I mean, it, it'd be a sweet buck. Yeah, that was cool. Did, did you guys, did you guys bump any deer or see any whitetails while you're doing these this shed hunt these shed hunts? Yeah, and not not yet. Like in the store yet, we hadn't, um, mm-hmm. but we definitely eventually did see deer. Um, gotcha. And that's one of the things. A lot of these spots out west, and and part of why I've enjoyed doing these western whitetail related trips so much is that they're really there's really high populations of deer um and they're all in these small areas because the whitetails are very dependent and preferential to the river bottom cover because they want thick dense cover you know just like they want here in the midwest or in the east or wherever um but that kind of cover it isn't available across most of the landscape most of the landscapes wide open grasslands or sagebrush or whatever um so what you get is you get all the deer packed into the smaller section. So you can see a lot of deer, you can find a lot of sheds, you can, you know, it's just cool from that perspective. So that was kind of what we were dealing with here was most of these whitetails were living maybe in a, I don't know, if you went from one canyon wall to the other canyon wall, you know, from across the river, it maybe is a half mile wide, Josh. I don't know. Maybe is that something about right? Maybe, maybe more, maybe three quarters of a mile wide. Um, it's hard to judge that distance, I guess, but it's not super wide. Now it's long, um, but you're, the areas you need to look and focus your time on, it, it narrows that a lot, which, which makes it fun for this kind of thing. So yeah, we found this, this next section was basically this, I don't know how to describe it. There's this kind of finger of land that extended out from the edge of the cliffs towards the river. Um, but it, the river pinched tight to the cliffs on either side of it. So imagine like, put your hand up, put your right hand straight up like a wall, and then, um, maybe point your thumb out flat from there. That's your finger of land. And then the river butts up to your hand on either side of the thumb, but that thumb has got timber on it. So it's almost like this landlocked piece of land that had a bunch of woods in it. The only way you could get to it was either float it or there's a little tiny kind of side hill trail you could walk along the edge of the cliff sort of to get into that. Um, so I don't think a lot of people were heading in there. If I don't know if any of this stuff gets touched very much because it's kind of out in the middle of nowhere. But um, this section looked particularly protected. Um, and so we hiked all the way to that and that ended up being really good. Like awesome looking sign, tons and tons and tons of deer sign. Um, and real quick here, I think this will be a good place for us to take a break for our Sitka story of the day. For this week's Sitka story, we're joined by Montana Wild's Zach Botton, who tells us about a memorable high country mule deer hunt where he tagged out in the last week of the season. One of my favorite hunting moments was a couple falls ago, last week of season, we were trying to find big mature mule deer buck and we went back to a spot that I just kind of had a gut feeling was going to produce. Had never seen a big buck in the area and got there early. Temperatures were dipping down just below zero and 
we just slowly started climbing the mountain, trying to hike slow so you don't get too sweaty. Definitely glad we had the right layers for that day and got up on the mountain and, and made a decision to keep going. I had thought about going back down the mountain. Uh, hadn't seen a lot of game. And next thing you know, we come through the timber, look up on the hillside, and here is just a big four-point mule deer buck, exactly what I was looking for. Got down. The buck had no clue I was there. Put it behind his shoulder and squeezed the trigger, and that was the end of it. And walking up on that buck was probably four or five years worth of time spent in the mountains to try to find that buck, and it was super rewarding. That's probably one of my favorite moments from the last couple of years. Super demanding hunt and spent a lot of time on the mountain looking for a buck of a certain size and maturity that we honestly had never laid eyes on before I filled my tag. On Zach's hunt, he was wearing Sitka's Timberline pants and Traverse hoodie. If you'd like to create a Sitka story of your own, or to learn more about Sitka's technical hunting apparel, visit SitkaGear.com. And right away, I think really quickly, we found a shed. Um, I guess that was mine, Josh, right? I found that first shed. Well, uh, yeah, if you want to call it yours. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> the dog find a lot, did they? No, no. He's no, he's no. saying that I poached his shed, I think. Is oh. What... Dan, Dan, you wouldn't believe it. It was a bad one, man. It was literally directly in front of me. I've got video evidence. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was, it was you know pretty what? egregious. We need to start, further me and you, we need to start a club. <laughs> where because we get walked in front of a lot it sounds oh like. yeah, yeah, yeah no no one no one should and be ashamed it, you know mark is just like you know what i need it i need it for my content oh yeah <laughs> yeah sure no josh josh is the only one who should be ashamed because he he should have spotted it far before i did so that's on you josh no uh, okay. let's just let's take a step back uh because if you know no one's in front of you, why do you have to look out way far? Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, he's over on his side. I'm on my side. I'm just scanning, doing a thorough check. And he's <laughs> up there just, you know. The back. Yeah, thank yeah, you, Dan. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, we're walking like 40 yards but, apart, scanning, you know. You, you can't help but see some of this stuff. And it was kind of in between us. But say whatever you will, Josh. <laughs> um, <laughs> but <laughs> but the, long, the long story of it. Um, we picked up that shed and what was cool and the same with the sheds that Josh found first. And then we found two other small ones that day. Um, all of these antlers, you know, we got to let Boone pick up. So, you know, in all of my shed hunting here in Michigan over the course of like the last like four years or whatever, I've found like two sheds in four years that Booner had a chance to smell and pick up before I touched it. In one day we found five or six that he got to. So just really good experience for him to, to get to see it in the real setting, to pick it up, to smell it, to, you know, really get his idea, get an idea of what these sheds are without marks, without his dad's scent on it, you know? Um, so that was really cool. And he had a kick out of it. You know, he didn't find any antlers just like he didn't, he never ran up to me with a antler. I didn't see and like surprised me with one. Um, you know, we would usually one of us would spot it and then we would walk over there and wait for him to grab it. Um, but you know, for the most part, I think at the end, I think one of them, he didn't really want to pick up, but for the most part, he got excited about him, grabbed him, ran around with him, brought him back to us. Um, so that was fun to see. Wasn't Josh? Yeah, it was a lot of fun. 
Yep. Yeah. So. So I'm looking at a map right now, and I, you know, there's there's these creek systems and these river bottoms, and then they kind of these what you call uh, I guess a, a a bushy draw or real thick draw that uh, comes out and all that drain. It's basically a big drainage area, right? That leads down into these into these rivers. It, were you finding the sheds more on the flat river bottom ground or up into these drainage areas? So most of the stuff that we are focusing on um, now, most of the stuff that we were seeing as far as that, it was all on the flat river bottom stuff. Um, okay. It seemed like as soon as you started gaining elevation, now I don't know, I doubt this is a rule. I'm sure there's places where the whitetails do head up a little bit into the draws and stuff. But as far as what we were seeing, it was really in the flat river bottom stuff that was just okay. packed with deer sign. As soon as you started going up, that's when you started seeing what, you know, that's where we'd see mule deer. That's where I found, I found a mule deer shed that was up in one of those little pieces. Um, everything else as far as the whitetails was down in that brush on the, on the flat stuff. Um, but I'm sure there are some places where you could go farther up into those little draws a little bit higher up and get into stuff. But I just don't think in most cases the whitetails like the really rugged stuff. They prefer the easier walking versus like these mule deers, mule deer that'll head right up these near vertical walls and go over all this nasty stuff. Um, I think that's at least what they prefer most of the time. But, uh, but yeah, man, it was a good day in there. That was our first day. We're really, really excited about what we were seeing. Not only did we find those sheds, but some spots that I think would be worth hunting for sure. Um, and we did find, do we find two dead bucks in there, Josh? Uh, just one? Yeah, uh, I think one on that, uh, one where we were that day. Yeah. So found like a, a nice, like a nice two year old seven pointer that was dead in there. Um, plus all the sheds we found, plus just lots of good sign, tough to get to. So that's a spot I think I'd like to try to get back to and hunt someday. Um, and then, yeah, headed back home that night. Had some venison brats, I think, or maybe that was another night. But we ate good at the campsite. Um, and then the next were day. Were you guys tent camping? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Tent camped. What would you think about This is the first time you've ever done, like, winter tent camping, Josh. What do you think? Yeah. Um, it, it wasn't It wasn't that bad. Um, it could have been a lot worse. Uh, we, I think we actually got really lucky with our weather that week. Um, you know, it was never terribly cold. Um, and if it, we both got good enough gear that kept us warm all night, but it was fine. I mean, um, I enjoyed it. It was, uh, what do you call it? Type two fun. Is that what you call it? <laughs> type two. Yeah. As, if, it's, uh, if it's not fun. It's, it's type, type two fun. Yeah. I don't even know if I go that far, Josh. It wasn't that bad. <laughs> it was, it was pretty darn comfortable. I mean, it was cool at night, but like you said, as long as you had a good jacket and hat and stuff like that, I mean, yeah. I think at night yeah. it probably got down to the twenties. Um, and then the day it was thirties and forties. Um, but my wife was not interested in doing that kind of camping. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, the campsite we were in, we, you know, we camped back at the national park, um, for the first few days. And that was just a beautiful, beautiful spot. Um, so yeah, great camping. And then when we were up on the other stuff, good deer scouting and everything. And then our final day in North Dakota went to a different section we had to do a ton of hiking just to get to this spot because, again, we were having issues with the roads, so we didn't want to risk going down one of these muddy roads, but we still wanted to get to this spot. So we had to do a two-mile walk down the road just to get to the spot we wanted to start scouting. Um, and then once we got in there, I think we walked another eight miles in there. Did we, didn't we do it 12 miles that day, Josh? Yeah, I think that was the a, a, a 12-mile day, yep. Yep. 
Um, so we put some good miles in the boots there, but that was a good day too. We walked, took us a while to get going, didn't find anything for a bit, but then I think that first shed you found was that huge G2 shed, right? Yeah. Yep. That, that big G2 shed under the, um, under that cedar tree. Yep. And, um, I think basically all the sheds we found on that day were, if I'm, I think all of them were around cedars. They were in cedar bedding. Isn't that right? <clears throat> Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, because then I found that old one, that old chewed up one, which would have been a slammer. Um, that was in some cedar bedding, um, just a little bit further down from this first one that I found. And then, yeah, I think uh, all of them were kind of in that same type of uh, cover that day. Yep, and then found another couple dead bucks or one dead buck on that section. Um, I found that tiny mule deer shed up on the side hill. Um, yep. And then the... Well, one of the things I was thinking about in general this whole time we were in North Dakota, and I, I happened to record a clip talking about this, I think it gave me some good luck because I was just talking about being out here in western North Dakota in this same general region where Theodore Roosevelt spent so much time. Um, in one of his – or a book about him I was reading, they were talking about one of his ranch houses, and they were saying that when he walked into his ranch house, there were so many whitetail and mule deer shed antlers that you could mistake it for an antler museum. <laughs> Um, so I was like, man, that's awesome. Like Theodore Roosevelt was picking up sheds just like me. And I wonder like maybe where I'm walking right now, maybe Theodore Roosevelt walked to pick up shed antlers too. Um, that was like a cool thing to think about. So I recorded a little video clip talking about that. And then I was like, and you know, maybe, maybe I'm going to get, maybe I can get a little bit of Theodore Roosevelt's shed hunting luck. I could use that right about now. And not like a half hour later, we're just about done with the day. We're heading past this section of thick cedars that are right in the edge of the buttes. And I'm walking on the edge, and I'm peering in underneath the, the branches to my right, and I spot a main beam. So I'm like, ah, awesome, got a shed. I call Josh over. I go sneaking into this thick stuff to go pick up this shed, and I come into, I get underneath the tree limbs, and it kind of opens up a little bit, and then I see it's not just one shed antler, it's two shed antlers, and they're like big, really big five-point sides. So I freak out. Me and Josh are like high-fiving and stuff. Um, the best match set I've ever found. Um, and you couldn't ask for like a prettier little picture right in there, could you, Josh? I mean. Oh, it was sweet. Yeah, it was perfect right where we were in there. It's like where you think a deer would bed, like that was like a nice big buck would bed. That's where it would be. Yeah, perfect little spot right up next to the trunk of the cedar tree. The antlers are lying kind of almost on top of each other. They're like chocolate brown, just beautiful colors. And so I grab the antlers. I pull them up out of the pine needles, and I'm looking at them. And then all of a sudden I realize there's like a 4-inch or 5-inch drop tine off one of them. And I just really freaked out then. <laughs> it was so cool. It was the coolest antler I've ever picked up. Um, and that was that was a highlight of the trip for sure, don't you think, Josh? oh yeah for sure that your face was priceless <laughs> when you saw it it's it pretty funny oh, yeah i'm holding the antler right now and it's uh super cool really long main beams that kind of sweep up um the drop tine is almost if you were looking at where the brow tine is and then it then took a brow tine and then just put another brow tine directly underneath it that's kind of what this antler looks like um so that's the, my first drop time shed I've ever found and probably the only drop time shed I'll ever find. Um, so yeah, man, that was the way we capped off our North Dakota day three. Um, and then that spot looked really great from a hunting perspective too. 
Um, you know, my, my big goal from the scouting standpoint was just to find these little pockets that had a lot of whitetails and that looked like, you know, are they hard to get to? Do they have a lot of whitetails? Is it a good sign? And I found those two spots that I definitely think hit that criteria. Um, and on that note, you know, one of the things I want to make sure we talked about in this is that when it comes to trying to do like a Western whitetail hunt, the big thing I've been focusing on is just finding that finding if you're hunting public land or private land, whatever it is, find that kind of ground along a river corridor where there's some good thick cover. Because again, that's the limited quant that's the limited thing in most of these places. So if you find that good cover along the river, you almost certainly are gonna have some white tails in these places. Um so for me it's just finding those places on the map and then going there in person and just saying, Okay, yeah, does this look like it has the sign that I think it has? Um and so we were able to do that. Um, so I've got two really nice looking sections that I want to get back to someday. And I don't know, Josh, where are you at? You were talking like, maybe you want to try to come back and hunt. Maybe not. Have you been thinking about it anymore? Yeah, I've been thinking about it. I mean, it's definitely something I want to do. Um, you know, North Dakota, especially is on my short list of States I'd like to get to. Um, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it happen this year, but within the next five years, I'd like to, I'd like to get out there um, or Montana or South Dakota, somewhere out West and, next, and do a whitetail hunt for next sure. Next five years. That's the most unambitious goal <laughs> I've ever heard. Dude, okay, that can happen. Next, Buddy, do it three, now. Three years. Yeah, yeah, do it yeah. now. Trust me. Yeah. Do yeah. it yep. now. Okay. You don't have kids yet. I know I don't have kids yet. Maybe I should do it now. Yeah. M- maybe. But, um, <laughs> yeah. I, I tell you what, have three kids, then try to do it. Yeah. Dan, Dan's sitting on the other side of the internet right now, just dying to have that opportunity to get out there. Yeah, you're right. You're right. No, I'd need to make it happen sooner than later. You're right. It was, I mean, it's just a really, really pretty area. And I, I've just come to, to love this Western whitetail thing in general, because you get into these really unique habitats, very few people, lots of deer. The quality of deer is, is pretty darn good, especially like compared to what I have like to hunt here in Michigan. Now, compared to Iowa, it's not like Iowa as far as you're not going to see as many monstrous deer, um, but you can see a lot of like nice deer. Um, and for me, the, that kind of experience is, is great. That's all I really want is to have like a cool wild experience and see a lot of deer and, and, and shoot a mature buck. That's, that's awesome. So that kind of thing is very achievable in states like Montana, North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Eastern Wyoming. Um, so I'm I'm pretty much another point where I think every year I'm going to be doing at least one trip, if not two trips a year, doing that kind of hunt because it I'm I'm really getting hooked on it. Um, anything well, else? I got on a question. The, oh yeah, what do you I got? got a, I got a, I got a question about you know shed hunting. You're you know for me when I go shed hunting, and maybe it's because I already know the properties that I'm shed hunting. But on a trip like this, where you guys weren't necessarily just looking for sheds, you were also looking for uh, hunting spots as well. So how did you, I guess, split up your time? I guess focused on sheds, but at the same time looking like okay, I'm going to mark this on a on a map, or I'm going to put you know this particular uh, this particular location for a mental note so I can come back to it and, you know, as a potential hunting spot in the fall. Yeah. So for, at least for me, I wasn't trying to go, um, I wasn't focusing on scouting to the level of detail where I was trying to pick like specific stand locations or anything like that. It was really the, the scouting goals I had were just to determine 
does this chunk look good? Like, is it worth coming back and hunting here? Um, so really, once I got to these places, I was 95% focused on shed hunting in that area. And then, you know, every once in a while I would stop when we took breaks and stuff, and I'd be looking around and looking at the map and thinking through things. And, you know, you kind of develop an aggregate idea of how much deer sign you're seeing, how many rubs are you seeing, how many big scrapes, stuff like that. How What are the shed quality? What are the dead deer we're seeing? All those things kind of would just lead up to me knowing, like, yes, this looks like a spot I'd like to come back to, or no, it's not. Um but I wasn't, you know, scouring the, the area looking for rubs or looking for specific stand sites or looking for access points or anything like that. Um, most of my focus was devoted to looking for antlers. Um, I would, what do you think, Josh? Was that kind of where your head was at too? Yeah, I, I was the same way. I mean, you had, you had to be blind though, not to see, you know, good deer sign in the area. I mean, there are so many, I can't, I can't remember how many times I said to you, Dude, I've never seen so many rubs in my life. Um, so, I mean, you had to be blind not to see the deer sign in there and, and have a pretty good idea of of how they're using it. And, um, you know, Mark and I were talking about if we, you know, if we come back out here, take a take an evening or a, a morning off and just kind of sit up on one of these ridge tops and kind of glass these areas and see how they're using the area and um, kind of make a plan of attack from there. But, yeah, um, yeah I, was, I was definitely more focused on looking for, for sheds than – specific trees to hunt on hunt in or or whatever the case may be that's what's so cool too about hunting in a place like this and i'm just a sucker for like being able to see long distances and everything but in a lot of these areas out west just the the view shed that you have the distance that you can see is so much more substantial than what you've got here in like an area of michigan where usually it's super thick um or if anything if if there is a view it's because you're sitting over a crop field or something but otherwise you can't see a whole lot and there's lots of trees and stuff um out here you know the way i've approached my western whitetail hunt so far and the way i intend to continue is that the first day or two um you're just getting to a high point or getting to some kind of observation point maybe it's an observation stand maybe it's sitting up on a hill or a ridge Maybe it's just sitting out on the road and using a spotting scope, um, but just observe. Um, and if you're hunting, you know, in the early season or even, you know, into in middle of October when they're still on like a bed to feed pattern of some type, um, you can very easily determine where these deer bedded and where they're heading to feed. Um, and then you just plan, you, you observe, and then you act on it. And you go and intercept. Um, it's not like you have to find a whole bunch of specific terrain features on your map and then scout and see if there's, yes, there's trails there. And then, yeah, maybe it's worth hanging a stand in this thicket. Like maybe we have to do here at home. You can just see it. And if you see it you see a buck, you're interested in hunting, or you see a bunch of bucks move through this area, then you say, okay, yeah, I know that tree right there that I watched. I'm going to go hang a stand in there tomorrow afternoon and I'm gonna hunt it. And then you can adjust from there. Um, and I think this spot would be perfect for that. You get up on one of these buttes, watch over this area. You could see almost everything um, and then sneak in there the next day and, and hunt them. It's just cool. You get to see so much. I, I love just – we were talking about Josh. I, As much as I love you know actually having a hunt that comes together and connecting on a deer, I, I'm happy 99% of the time if I can just observe a lot of deer. So these hunts are fun just because you can see a lot of action. I mean I just love watching them. Um, so these kinds of spots are great for that, which yeah. is, uh, which is why I'll definitely be out there again soon. And you know, one thing we did talk about Mark and, and scouting for a uh, you know, hunting season is, um, we talked about maybe doing it like a, almost something like we did on, done our elk trips where you hike your camp back in there and camp, 
um, somewhat close to these areas um, just because it's such a far walk from any sort of um, area to park or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, it could be a real issue um, getting a deer out or whatever. So we talked about maybe camping back in there or something and helping um, shorten our walk a little bit or whatever the case may be in terms of our access. Right, right. Yeah, find some of those locations that are really tough to get to where you'd have like a couple mile walk just to get to it. Um, you could, like you said, almost put a spike camp back in there because there's so much public land in there. And um, you could just have like a, it's almost like a, I mean, some of these sections people do backpack in and mule deer hunt up in the Badland stuff around there. Um, so you could almost set up a camp like that, but then just drop down the hill into the whitetail stuff. That would be, that would be a really cool way to do it. So yeah, it was awesome. North Dakota, absolutely beautiful. What do we have? We found 11 or 12 sheds while we were there. Yeah. I think we're at 11 or 12. I think 11, if I remember right. Yeah. Just like a lot of nice, really nice quality antlers. Yep. You know? Yeah. And the two match sets are two, both of our biggest match sets. Yep. So sweet. And then, um, you know, we kind of had used up all the places I'd found on the map that I thought were worth checking out in this general region. Um, and then we were, we were having no issues. Like I said earlier, a lot of the spots we still want to go see, we couldn't get down cause they were all mudded out. So I decided to head back towards where I deer hunted last year in Montana, in Eastern Montana. Um, and so that's what we did on day four. We drove to Eastern Montana set up camp where I was at last year and then um, decided to shed hunt and scout some of the public land there and then also try to get permission from some of the landowners I met out there to walk some of their stuff. So this was a situation where my previous year's experience helped out a ton because last year while I was hunting in this area, um, when I was camped out, I was like setting up camp one day, a, land, a neighboring landowner came over and talked to me and wanted to, you know, make sure I wasn't an idiot who was going to screw up stuff on, on his neighboring property and stuff like that and wanted to just get to know me and what I was doing. He ended up being a really nice guy, ended up showing me around some of his stuff and blah, blah, blah. And then he talked to another neighbor and that neighbor came, drove down to my campsite the next day and he came to talk to me. And so I met these two really nice people last fall. Well, this spring, now I'm back, I went and talked to both of them again and said, hey, you know, me and my buddy Furter, we're down here looking for some shed antlers. <laughs> yeah, they thought that was a weird name, didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and they both ended up really lending us a hand. Um, one of them gave us permission to walk his property, um, which was a really big chunk that also gave us access to additional public land too. Um, and then the other guy was uh, was offered to let us walk a little bit of his and then also gave us access to his canoe to cross a river to get to more stuff. Um, so, I mean, the, the long story short in the Montana, we had three days there in Montana. Um, the first day I found a match set on public land, which was pretty sweet, and that was one where I saw one side, and I'm like, boom, go get it. And then he goes off and running the other direction. I'm like, what the heck's he doing? And then I look at where he, what he's doing, and his head is in the other antler. He's sniffing the other antler the other side. Um, so that was cool. And then we started walking some of the private that we got permission on. And um, I don't know. How would you describe this stuff? It was a little different than where we were at in North Dakota. It was still river bottom stuff, um, but a lot thicker, don't you think? Super thick, yeah. It was the Russian olive. And, man, that stuff, I mean, you were, we were crawling around on our hands and knees down in there. 
Um, that was pretty brutal. Yeah, it was. I don't even know how to describe it. Like, imagine like the thickest, nastiest like thorn bushes that you might have to walk through in Iowa, Dan. And then just imagine like stretches of like forty acres of that or whatever, just <laughs> nonstop. But it all looked like underneath it, like there was kind of <clears throat> tunnels burrowed through it where all the deer were moving through, and there was just like deer crap everywhere, rubs on almost every tree. I mean, it, you, it was so tempting to get in there because you're like, there's got to be sheds in here. Um, so we we pushed you, through it. We spent more time dodging tree branches and saving your face though than you probably did actually looking for antlers down in there. Yeah, that was. Um, that was the issue. So we probably walked by a bunch of them. Yeah. What was nice about this area in Montana, though, was that in North Dakota, there wasn't any, like, food source. There wasn't any kind of agriculture, um, particularly close to the places that we were walking about. Um, here on these properties, we were either able to walk a food source or we are close to food sources. So the number of deer in there was, like, even more, even higher than what we had in North Dakota. I mean, like really, really high deer numbers and lots and lots of bucks. I mean, I saw lots of bucks last year when I hunted there, but this trip made me realize it's even better than I realized. Um, that first day, I found eight sheds, um, and that was only like a half day because the first half of the day was like getting set up, getting there, setting up camp. So really it was just a half day, and I had my best day of shed hunting ever that day um, with eight pickups. And then, Josh, you found one. Yep. Was that upsetting awesome. to you? Uh, no, <laughs> no. I was I was a very um, courteous shed hunter. And I didn't cross your lines at all. Um, I, was, I just wanted to make sure you didn't get too down on yourself, so I let you pick them all up that day. I, and you I, had to have the content, right? Got to yep, get the yep, content. Yep, yep, I'll, tell, I'll tell you what, Kurt Josh, was that um, he is so slow. I mean, he just, he just takes his sweet time everywhere he goes. I'm always looking behind my shoulder. Like, are you coming, Josh? Are you coming? Or like we had, we're heading into this great looking bedding area and we're about to get into it. I'm thinking, oh, there's going to be a shed up here anywhere. And then Josh is like, Hey man, go on ahead of me. I got to use the bathroom. So, (laughs) so he's like rustling around his backpack for toilet paper and stuff. And me and Boone go walking ahead and I go pull out like two really nice sheds that maybe he could have picked up if he was walking, but, uh, he was And when Josh had one of those moments, man, had one of those moments. Coffee hit. Yeah. 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 It's been a couple days. You know, you're out, you're out there and you're eating protein bars and all that kind of stuff. You know, just things happen. Things happen. (laughs) The, The thing about Furter is I've spent, I've, I've stayed in many hotel rooms with him and stuff because we do these, we do these out of state hunts together a lot. He'll I don't go, know if we need to go down this, he'll, this he'll, road here, Mario. He'll go in the bathroom, and you'll hear him, like, watching YouTube videos and, like, singing <laughs> along to music. He's calling his wife. So I imagine I imagine we're out there shed hunting. I'm picking up sheds, and he's sitting, like, with his back up against a tree trunk, like, watching YouTube and talking to Kelly and all this stuff. And I think that's why you missed out, dude. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, hey, my motto in life is a slow and steady wins the race. So I'm nice and slow and steady and... Yeah, I think my wife, you and my wife, probably both kill me. Times, uh, you know, you guys both have the same issues with me. I think. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. I won't lament anymore on that, but uh, that was a fun day. Yeah. Yep. And then the next day was the highlight, probably, of the trip. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that the, we started the day, went and scouted some different public land, didn't find much there. 
beautiful area, and we saw a ton of animals, ton of antelope, mule deer, whitetails, all sorts of stuff, but just no sheds, didn't look like the kind of stuff we want to hunt. Um, so one of the landowners then got in touch with us and said, hey, if you want to cross the river with me on my canoe, you can get access to this other stuff. Um, so Dan, this is where it gets good here. This is where it gets good. <laughs> do you want to, do you want to tell this story, Josh, or how do we, how do we tell? No, about I, this? I think you'll do a, I think you'll do a great job of telling it. So Dan, you won't be surprised about this because I've developed a history of doing this kind of stuff now. Um, yep, yeah. I, uh, we're going to cross this river to get to this other section that's, Based on the maps and what I think, I'm like, oh, this is going to be amazing shed hunting in here. This is going to be awesome. There's got to be lots of deer in here. So me and the landowner are going to go across the river in the canoe first. And then I was going to come back across on my own and pick up Josh and then go back, drop him off, and then come back across and pick up the landowner's wife. We're going to shuttle people across. The river is really high, again, from runoff. It's really muddy. It's really fast. It's pushing through there. All the snow melt from the spring. Um, but I've canoed a lot over the course of my life. He asked me, he's like, you, you comfortable? You good with canoes? I'm like, oh yeah, I'm good with canoes. Um, but I, I got to thinking afterwards, I guess I haven't canoed on a river since like high school, but, <laughs> but me and the landowner go paddling across and he keeps saying that the key is you got to keep the nose of the canoe pointed into the current. So basically you're pointed upstream and then you just got to kind of float with the river down, but just keep your nose pointed up. So we managed to get across the river just fine. I drop him off, and he says, okay, go back across, grab Josh, and do it again. So the canoe is pretty narrow, and I get sat in it, and I start to push out. And just as I push out into the river, like immediately the canoe like tips almost all the way over. I'm like, holy smokes. Um, and then I write myself, and I like, balance out. I'm like, okay, that's oh good. I got this. I got this under control. And he's just like, just make sure the nose stays pointing down or upstream. Make sure the water's coming towards you. So I'm like, yeah, I got it, I got it. So I'm like, oh, I'm in good control. I'm balanced. I've got my, my legs on either side spread out real wide to spread my weight across. Took a deep breath and pushed off one more time. And I'm focused. I know exactly what to do. I'm pointing the nose of the canoe right downstream, upstream. I take one paddle out, and immediately the current takes the nose of that canoe and whips it around like a whole 90 degrees, and just instantly the canoe flips over completely in the middle of the river. <laughs> capsizes i go flipping over (laughs) i fall completely in the river up to like my chest and in mid fall i just remember thinking oh shit and then my cell phone were the two things i remember thinking i managed to though it was shallow enough right there that i was able to get my feet and i grabbed the canoe and I just remember the next thing thing is like, do not lose this guy's canoe. Like I was so embarrassed already. <laughs> I can't believe I just did this in front of him and his wife after just telling him, oh yeah, I'm good in the canoes. And instantly I flip over in this torrent of a river and that I'm holding on like dear life for the canoe, trying to make sure I don't lose it. And it's like dragging me down the river. And I think the guy was yelling at me like, let go of the canoe, let go of the canoe. Cause I think he was just worried I was going to drown. Um, but in my head, I'm like, I'm like, I can't lose this guy's canoe. So after, I don't know how long, it probably was like three seconds, but to me it felt like 35 seconds or a minute, like in there, like battling this canoe that was filling up with water and sucking me downstream. I summoned, I summoned my inner Hulk strength. I think, I think if I remember it right, Josh, didn't I pick the canoe up out of the water and hold it over my Uh, head? Didn't I completely? I I must've missed that part. I must've missed that part. I'm pretty sure I put it over my head and was yelling and then walked through the raging river. (laughs) 
Oh man. <laughs> no. Yeah, I think the best part of it though, I think the best part of it is like as soon as you went over, as soon as you went under, the the landowner's wife's like, Okay, I think I'm just gonna stay on this side of the river. <laughs> <laughs> Completely like, so, lost trust in him. Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. She's like, I am not riding across the river with this kid. <laughs> yeah, so so I managed to save the canoe and get out of the river. Um, but I was completely drenched and um then the landowner's like, okay, we need to get you back to the house to get you warmed up and dried off and stuff. And I was like, oh, no, no, I'm fine. And he's like, oh, no, we got to get you back. I'm like, oh, no, I'm fine. As long as I walk, um, as long as I'm walking around, I'll be fine. I'm like, I've done this before in Iowa. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> and there was snow on the ground. And there's there snow on the ground, yeah. So, so yeah, man, I was soaking wet, and it was probably in the 30s. It was cold. Um, but I was like, damn it, I already made it across the river. I'm already soaked. I might as well try to find some sheds. And I'm glad we did it because we had about an hour and a half to shed hunt, and then we had to come back and shuttle the land. Excuse me, we had to shuttle the landowner back across the river, and then we could continue. So we had like an hour and a half. And Josh, you uh, you found the shed of your life. Yeah, I found the shed of my life, and it was um yeah we had hardly been walking. I mean, we were maybe back in there for ten minutes. I get oh got one and. Uh, it's timed down, and uh, uh, I walked up to him. And I'm like, "Holy cow!" I, I waited for Mar- I waited for you to get over there because I knew it was a good one, and um, I pick it up, and this thing is just a. It's got serious mass. It's got a split brow, and I don't know what this other. I don't know if you want to call it another main beam or a third brow tine. Um, it's a giant. I'll probably never find a shed like this in my life. Um, it's awesome. Yeah, I think it's a it's like and, a seventy inch plus side, and like you said, like triple brow tines, huge, like seven inch third brow tine curling up off of it. I mean, it's, it's a wild looking antler. Yeah, it's sweet. Yeah, and then um, um and then the I picture doesn't do it justice though, man. Do you think I, so? When I I, I did, it did, to me, it didn't look like a huge shed, but man, that is that's big. Seventy inches is big. Oh yeah, man! It's I'm it's, holding it right now. It's um, I barely fit my hand around it at the bottom of it. I mean, it's uh, so it's got real good it, mass. It's a, yeah, real good mass carries it all the way through throughout the awesome. the main beam. I'll have to I'll have to put a tape on it here and see what it ends up being. Yeah, we we're basing that uh, estimated score off of uh, Corey Falls' raculation that he did via photo. So <laughs> he's usually pretty accurate on those. Um, but Josh, you have to tell us what the actual score yeah. is. And then after that, uh, I found one more on our way back to shuttle the landowner across. I want to give you a chance to talk about that moment. Um, because I, I had some bad luck. I think that river was really raging. That was probably what caused me to tip over. It was a difficult situation. Cards were stacked against me. Um, but <laughs> But further, you you then uh, we got back to the river, and I said I'm not going back across. And I'll be honest, I was I was pretty shook up. Like after that, I was I was pretty miserable, soaking wet, and I'm like I am not going across that thing again, paddling it myself. So I'm like Josh, well Josh, you tell you told me you're like well you're already wet, so you should do it. And I'm like no, <laughs> I, I already experienced this. You need to have this life experience too. And so you did it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I did it. I did it. I actually think the water was a little higher. I think a little bit faster. Um, that, that <laughs> Wait, so you don't do? More runoff. Oh no, dude! I I made it across there like a pro. Okay, All I right. just you know, 
slow and steady. That's and I told you that's my motto. I, <laughs> I got I got the landowner crossed, and I I uh, I was even I was even talking to him on the way back like nothing was even going on, and I just glided right across that river like it was you know the smoothest river in the world. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't know if you knew this, Dan, but uh, Josh was the 2005 Kennewa Hills Athlete of the Year, <laughs> and he likes to remind us of that often. So as soon as he got across the river, yeah. as soon as he got across the river, he looks at me and says, "Athlete of the Year." <laughs> I just like to rub rub it in Mark's face a little bit. <laughs> it was a, yeah, it was, it was- it was pretty impressive, I think, wasn't it, Mark? <laughs> it looked pretty good coming across there. Yeah, yeah, smooth sailing. Yep, that was good. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so what was your guys's – because, you know, you said – I mean, you guys have said, well, we found a shed here. We found a couple shed here. You know, Mark, one day you found eight or something like that. But for this whole trip, it sounds like you guys just raked it in in total. Yeah. So the first – like that first North Dakota day we found – None. Second North Dakota day, we found five. The next North Dakota day, we found six. Our first day in Montana, we found nine total because I found eight. Josh found one. And then this day that we were just talking about was our best day. Both of me and Josh's best day of shed hunting either, ever. Um, I found 12. And Josh, you found how many? I think I had 11. Yeah. Wow. So we picked up 22 sheds on this day. Um, and like nice ones, you know, that, that triple brow 10 one, Josh talked about the really big hammer four point side. I found, I found several other really nice five point sides, lots of nice, like probably like 130 inch eight pointer type shed on sheds, um, and all on public ground, a mixture of public and private. Okay. All right. Yep. Cause we had, we had permission from this one landowner and then we could access some public through that too. Um, gotcha. so yeah, man, we, we pulled them in. I mean, it was nuts. It was it was a shed hunting day like nothing I've ever experienced. Um, you, it, it's just it's what you dream of. It was really like a dream shed hunt. Like so many times I go shed hunting, I'm like, oh man, there's got to be one in there. And then you go look in there, and then there's nothing. Um, yeah. And that happens over and over and over again. But on this trip, many times you'd be like, oh, there's got to be a shed in there. And then you stick your head in, and they're like, oh, there's a big old crown right there. Um, it was just, it was just. I mean, it's. It was unreal. It was just fun. Yeah. I mean, it was shed hunting like on steroids because you were actually finding lots of sheds. I don't know. You had a blast, Josh. I mean, right? I mean, oh, I had a great time. Yeah, it was awesome. Really was, glad I was able to make it work. Yeah. Get out there. Yeah, lots of antlers. And again, I, I found some more spots that I want to hunt. I definitely feel more confident about hunting this area again now. Um, we found, like I said, nice shed antlers in there. We also found several dead bucks, like nice bucks. Um, so while it's a bummer that the buck's dead, it is indicative of the quality of deer that can survive out there. Um, so that made me more confident in the general area. Um, and then that final day we found another, we had, I think we needed to find six antlers to get to 50 for the trip. We were like, oh, you know, it doesn't matter, but it'd be cool if we get to 50 antlers. And we ended up finding our six antlers. So we got to 50 and we were walking back to the truck and we're just walking across another sagebrush flat on public land. And, um, we were just saying, Oh man, it'd be nice if we get one of those sagebrush surprises. Like we did that one day in North Dakota and not seconds after saying that, Oh, I got one. <laughs> There's a five point side right there in the middle of like no man's land. Nice little five point antler snagged that and put us at 51. Um, and that wrapped up the trip. So it was nuts. I mean, I think I found 28 antlers. I think Josh had 
whatever uh, the difference is, 23 or whatever. Yeah, 23 or something, yeah, whatever that um, turns out to be. And I'm, I've got I've got seven or eight right next to me. They're all, like, big antlers, like, really nice ones. Um, and then lots of, like, there's tons of two-year-old bucks that we picked up, like, small five-point sides or small four-point sides. Um, but they're still cool antlers. Um, so this is, it was, it was the best shed hunting trip of my life. I had two days in a row that were my best days ever. Um, and then this makes it my best shed hunting year by far ever. Cause I think I had, I had 14, well, I had 12 sheds that I found up to this point and 12 was my best year ever before this. Now you add 22 or 28 to that and I'm at 40 for the year. So I, I blew my past best year out of the water. Um, so that was pretty cool. I've got a lot more antlers to uh, to adorn the the cabinets with, and the tables, and uh, three or four new good public land spots to hunt, and a great week of uh, camping and walking around. So it was a great trip all in all, and not to mention got to spend some time in a place that, you know, one of our leaders in the past, Theodore Roosevelt, was really inspired by and. We got to go experience that same place, which I think, I don't know if you felt the same way, Josh, but like that, that was a powerful thing for me too. just sitting out there and thinking about it, looking out there and imagining what this must've looked like back then. And, um, I've always found that pretty cool. Yeah, for sure. Any thoughts, Dan? I got, yeah, you, you know, for a while now you've mentioned this project you're working on about public lands. Can you tell us when your like due date is or when your goal to have it completed is so we can, you know, start <laughs> thinking about getting, you know, like buying it or or consuming it or whatever's going to happen with it? <laughs> yeah. So I still can't I don't want to officially announce anything until like it's officially announced. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, it makes, makes sense. sense. <laughs> like, another, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> another entity will be announcing this, and so I want to let that entity announce it first. But probably, if you've heard me talk about this in the past, you probably know what I'm talking about, or maybe have an idea of what I'm talking about. But basically, there's this thing I've been working on for a long time that involves writing that's big, and it's going to come out someday. So you can take a jump to conclusions, Matt, and figure this out yourself. Um, but I think there'll be something you can purchase maybe next year um, if things go well. Um, but this is this kind of project takes a long time. So it'll be announced when it's announced. It'll be announced when it's announced, <laughs> and uh, you'll learn about it when you, you learn about it. it. Yes. <laughs> but uh, it will include some discussion of this uh, shed hunting trip, which will be kind of fun. Yeah, so, buddy. any final thoughts, Josh or Dan, uh, before we wrap this little story time up? No, man. I think just make sure that uh, when you go again, you holler at yours truly. I'll make sure to put it out there. And if you can, if you can pull some magic off and can clear this space, you definitely should try to do it. Because already, well, I won't even walk in front of you guys. <laughs> I'll even make that promise. Well, we're already talking like. Uh, with the rest of the guys, rest of my buddies that we should do our wired to hunt shed hunt out West next year. So you should definitely try to just, pl- just plan on carving out some time, Dan in like late March. And we'll just hit several States out West, find a bunch of public land camp out there with a bunch of people we'll have to have a lot of locations, but I think there's enough land that you could say, okay, you two hit this chunk, you two hit this chunk, you two hit this chunk. And you could do that for days and you would never run out of spots. Um, 
So, man, I, you know, I've said it for years now on the podcast that I'm just a sucker for the West. And uh, it's been really cool to be able to combine my love for that area with my love for whitetails. Um, and this trip was just another really cool way to do that. So um, I'll be out there again. Can't wait. And um, hopefully you guys will be too. Josh, anything else you want to add? Uh, yeah, I, I hope we didn't like set the expectation too high for us if we go back out there again with our buddies or whatever. <laughs> I think we got, I think we got a little bit lucky just with the weather, um, getting there right after the snow melt during the week and all that good stuff where I don't think it was really picked over too much, but man, if we could hit it like we did again, uh, we would definitely do well for ourselves again. Um, but I just want to say thank you for inviting me along and, um, I had a great time. We had a lot of fun. Even though we weren't shed hunting, we had we still had a lot of fun, even in the car. It was a long drive, and it was just a good time. Good oh, yeah. time. It was. We laughed a lot. And I agree with your first point, being that we did get lucky in that, yeah. I don't think other people had shed hunted this stuff yet because we heard that just like the week before or the weekend before, there was snow over everything. So we got to get out there before the weekend, just after snow melt. So we were getting first pickings on a lot of stuff. So we, we definitely did time it purely by luck. And that, that happened really well. Um, so, yeah, it might not always be that good. But I agree. We had a good time. We laughed a lot. I, I embarrassed myself a lot. That landowner, I still believe he really thinks that there's probably something wrong with me. <laughs> we, 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 we just kept on joking about, can you imagine what he's telling his friends? Like the stories that are passed around that town about this kid from Michigan. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people got laughs. You yeah. know what's you know yeah. funny, though, Dan? Me and, me and Josh were we were camping out in tents just off the road. Um, and so it's a small town out there. So I think a lot of people like drive down this road and they usually don't see a couple people tent camping. Um, so me and Josh, after we're done, we're heading out of town. We stopped at this bar to get dinner, um, before starting our drive back to Michigan. And as we come out, this woman stops me. I can't remember. How did that start? Oh, and she recognized the vehicle, I think. She looks at us, yeah, she's, like, yep. she's like, are you those guys that are tent camping up on that road? And I was like, oh, yep, that's that's us. And she looks at me right in the eye and she says, you guys are badass. <laughs> 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 and I, I said, yes, ma'am, we are. <laughs> so I bet you that that comment right there made you feel better than finding all of those sheds. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Cause she probably could have beat me up. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I made sure to tell my wife that right away too, that, Hey, there's someone out there that thinks they're pretty badass. So <laughs> yeah. But as soon as the story of the canoe gets, gets around town though, then it'll be, Oh man, we, we overestimated no, only those guys. one of you. Only one of you is a badass. That's the, that's the, <laughs> the other one's handicapped. Town. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what they think about me <laughs> so yeah I, I didn't i didn't uh I end didn't, the show end the show yeah. <laughs> all right guys good good times can't wait till next year and uh that is gonna do it for us thanks so much for sticking around for this far-ranging storytelling episode of sorts uh we certainly had a good time with it uh, before we wrap it up a couple quick updates number one if you haven't yet a rating or review on itunes is a huge help Thank you in advance for doing that. It makes a big difference for this podcast. Also, make sure you're following along with Wired Hunt on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter to be able to see these types of adventures like we've been talking about today. 
I shared all sorts of videos and pictures and stories throughout this past trip on Instagram, and I'll be continuing to do that with future adventures as well. So check that stuff out. The Instagram handle is wired to hunt. You'll find the same thing over on Twitter and Facebook as well. Uh, finally, just want to give a big thanks to our partners who make all this possible too. So big thanks to Sitka Gear, Yeti Coolers, Matthews Archery, Maven Optics, the Whitetail Institute of North America, Trophy Ridge, and Huntera Maps. And finally, like I said earlier, big thanks to all of you for being here with us today. We appreciate it. And until next time, stay wired to hunt. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.